invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3 today. Only planning to spend a couple of weeks here. Uh, Acts 2 took a while. That's all right. We want to be thorough in our examining of the Word together. Uh, but I encourage you to be reading through on your own through the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters, and by, uh, by my math, that would be four weeks worth of reading. You could read a chapter a day and do it all over again, and then do it all over again, and then, you know, see how we, we roll on that. But uh, this is an interesting passage, and um, I think it builds some precedent for what begins to happen throughout the book of Acts, and how we can look at our own lives, and how we can minister to the Lord, minister for the Lord. And uh, so I invite you to stand as we read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Our Lord, thank you for the wonder and amazement of your healing. Lord, we know that whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whatever it may be, that you are the great physician. You are the one that will bring healing into our hearts and our lives. And I pray, God, that today we would be comforted, be encouraged, be strengthened in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. So, Acts 2, we see Peter's first sermon follows a significant event, which would be at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Anybody remember what happened? It's been a while. Something happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. What, what, so we have Pentecost and the coming of... Holy Spirit upon the church. Okay, so I'm just making sure we get a pop quiz every once in a while. I don't have standardized testing, but I do like to see that somehow we remember something, right? Uh, It's important to see that. And what we see that in uh, Acts 2, we saw the wonder of the Lord, and we saw the message proclaimed. And in Acts 3, we see that same pattern Again, that's one of the things I got in studying this passage this week is that so often we, we put the message first as it's primary, and, and it absolutely is. Yet so often it follows evidence of the Lord's work in His kingdom on earth. And that's what we find right here. Um, in Acts 3, we, we see another one of Peter's big, long sermons at the end of the chapter, but it follows something that showed the clear evidence of the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of ways that people try to serve, and there are a lot of ways that people try to uh, glorify the Lord, yet what we find here is that God does what He does when He does it. And remember, we, we are seeing 
the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And, at, and last week we talked about the church. We talked about the, uh, the wonderful fellowship that, that existed of those who had placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And by the way, we had an awesome lunch after all that. And thank you to everybody who was a part of getting those things put together. So uh, anyway, what we find now is Peter and John, after this, what do they do? Now, there is no real designation of time between the end of chapter 2 and the uh, verse verse of chapter 3. This could have been the same day. This could have been any number of weeks later. What we do see is that Peter and John are living out their faith as they understood it at that moment. And in Jerusalem, that meant going to the temple at certain hours for prayer. It says right there, now Peter and John were going up the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, or about three o'clock in the afternoon, after the sun had come up, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the t- gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who are entering the temple. Now, we, we get a picture in our mind of, of what the temple is, but one of the things that came to my mind this week was just how big the temple grounds were. Uh, the temple grounds were a large rectangle of space, and by measurement, it's about four American football fields. So, so look at how big a football field is and put it out by times four. That's a lot of space, Right? And it's broken up into two squares, basically. And so you have the main entry, and then you had the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles, all these different places. And then they had another gate that was for the Israelites, and then yet another spot that was called, and it's usually what the picture we see is the Holy of Holies, the place of sacrifice that is in the furthest entries into the temple. And there were gates all the way around it. Now, one of the confusing things about this passage is that the way Luke writes it, remember, who is Luke? Luke is at first, he's a convert to Christianity as a Gentile, okay? And so as as we trust Luke to be the author of the book of Acts, we see that he has a a commoner's view of temple worship, so to speak, and he says it's called the beautiful gates, The problem that we run into here is that that is not an official name for any of the gates of the temple. So there's a lot of guessing about which gates. Generally, though, it's understood that they were, he was right there by the front entrance, the main entrance, where, the most, where most of the people would come into the temple grounds. And, of course, we remember in the, in the Gospels that Jesus goes into the temple grounds and chases out the, the money changers and all the people who are trying to make a buck off of worshiping God. Didn't have nice things to say to those and chased them out with a whip. Huh. That's an interesting uh, application of the Word of God, right? How many people would think we're crazy if we did that? Plenty, right? But that's what Jesus did. He was cleansing the temple. He was clearing it out of those who were making it basically a marketplace. The focus of the temple was to bring glory to Yahweh, to the Almighty God. And and, uh, in that, we see that there were different layers of entry along the way. So here's this man who was lame from birth. By by recognition, by definition perhaps, we can see that this man was considered unclean from the moment he was born. He was a cripple. 
his ankles didn't work. And I can sympathize that more than I used to be able to, right? You know, you don't, you don't realize how much you need that thing until it doesn't work, right? Neither one of them worked. And how does it say he got to the temple? It says that the, he was being carried. So he needed some friends to help him get there. And he would lay and ask for alms or ask for money, ask for a gift in order to keep his livelihood. And, and he was recognizable. He was that same guy that was there every day. You know, when you go into a place, you kind of get used to the surroundings, right? Well, this, this man was a common uh, visitor to the temple. They knew who he was, and he would ask alms to those entering the temple. And this was like a religious uh, rite. They, the, the people were called to generosity, and they were called to care for the poor. And so he took that place and expecting that they would be obedient to that call to take care of those around them. A question we could ask, and a question that was asked in some of my readings this week was, what would happen if we had somebody like that at the front of our building? Not that this is the temple. Remember, Christ fulfills the temple. Now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what would happen if there was somebody every day who's just always there? Where do we see those people today? We see them at the stoplights. We see them at the, the front of a, perhaps a grocery store or some other place. I think about different places I shop. There's always somebody that's out in front of somewhere. So I kind of come with the expectation. Uh, it's like, oh, I better have something. If I don't, then alone. Because I don't always carry cash, right? So we think about people who are asking for those in need. And, and so often in, in our, the questions we ask in our lives, we say, is that person trying to defraud us because we have those conversations and I've had them in this building we have to ask ourselves am I going to help that person and and I'm thankful that for the most part I see people that are in our church that are willing to do that one of our classes puts together bags to have ready for the homeless and, and it's a big problem in our community right now that we be, be able to care for those who are genuinely in need and the fact is, is that we can't do a background check on everybody that is asking for help. And God doesn't tell us to do that either. He says, care for those who are in need. And so they get to this place here, and this man goes with the expectation. He comes to the beautiful gates, a glorious bronze gate. They, they call it the gate of Nicanor or, or, or the Corinthian gate or, or something like that, but it's, it's called beautiful. And at the base of this gate, the irony is you have someone who is in great need. So a symbol of wealth and strength. And then you have someone who is, has nothing at, at, the, at the threshold. There's a sense of irony there. And, and Peter and John have seen a lot of things happen the last several weeks. Peter's a little, got a little bit of boldness going on here. Right? So Peter and John, verse 3, says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. All that word means is help or money. That's not a fancy word. It's not a word we use direct, uh, uh, all the time today. But it's a, it's a word that simply means it's a gift to help somebody. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
They're going through. They could have blown past him and ignored him to go do their ritual prayers. But he, they stop and look and say, look at us. You ever have a conversation like that with somebody? Where they're off and here and you know, no, look at me. Look at me. And some people, it's really uncomfortable for them to do that for whatever reason. But you know, when you draw somebody's attention, there's something important to be said. And John and Peter had seen all the works that Jesus had done, and they had experienced then the works of the Holy Spirit. They had seen the power go out before Him. They'd seen people trust in Him. They've seen people share what they have in order to care for one another. And Peter knows what he needs to do right here. He says, look at us. And this, this little uh, couple of verses here, I get a song in my head on that. Right. Anybody else get that song in your head? Yeah. Walking and leaping. All right, so anyway. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to you in the name of the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. When was the last time this guy walked? Never. Easy enough. In the descriptions of his ailments here, are found in verse 7. He said, He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. It's generally believed, the way it's described is that um, he, he just had a congenital issue where his, his feet didn't connect to his legs. They were there, but they didn't work. And again, I, I was there a couple of years ago. It's not an, an enjoyable experience. When you've got the part that's supposed to work, and you think it should and it doesn't. But at this moment, Peter and John declare healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And see, that's where we come to here, is we come to a place where ministry took precedence before the message. And Christ is the one who brought the healing. Christ is the one who can heal us alone. I mean, we can, we can undergo medical procedures, but we even see that today. I see people that go through all those procedures, and it's still a miracle that, that some of you, you are here, frankly, because I sat next to you in some hospital rooms, and you are here, and that is a miracle. And that can come from Christ. Christ works His, his healing powers in many ways. But here, the faith that this man now has Peter has shown him in his boldness in declaring Christ as Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, the great physician, rise up and walk. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. <laughs> what did that feel like? You know, there wasn't much PT involved. I can, I can remember, you know, in recovery, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put a little weight. Okay. Okay, I'm going to put a little strength here. No, is immediately he had been on his back his entire life. It doesn't say how old he is. But his entire life he'd been laying down at the mercy of others around him being transported. And he leaps. What kind of joy would that bring, right? And no wonder we see what he says here. Leaping up, he stood and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Got it stuck in my head again, all right? But we see that the power of that healing does not come from Peter and John. It's from the name that is Jesus Christ. It is 
realizing that the glory must go to him. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So there is a pattern that is developing. And I want us to think about that in the life of our church and in our daily ministry. And I say daily, not weekly, but daily. First of all, we see that ministry precedes the message. Ministry precedes the message. They came in the name of Jesus Christ and they offered help in the time of need. And I think there, there's a time and a place for everything, for every kind of, of way that we can honestly and, and uh, I guess the word is purely, I don't it's not the best word, but I didn't think of a better one, share the word of the Lord. And it really works well if the people know that you love them, that God loves them. And we see that throughout our world, throughout the history of the church. How many hospitals in our nation and in our world were started by the church? Did you know that both hospitals in our city were? Now, one of them is a public hospital now. The other one is still run by, the, by uh, Christian entities. We see that Christians in history, in the history of the church, have taken seriously the call to healing. And it may work itself out in different kinds of ways. But this isn't some kind of phony healing where you, you send in your money and God's going to bless you because the preacher gets a new airplane. That's not how this works. Okay. Peter and John did not expect anything except to glorify God by this. And the expectation that they had was that Christ himself would bring that healing through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if we want to see God work, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to realize that the, the needs that we personally have, while important, can never take precedent for what God has put before us in caring for those around us. He stood up, walked and leapt and praised God. They were filled with wonder. I've already made my second point, and I didn't say number two, but this is number two. <laughs> Pay attention to the needs around us. Sometimes somebody's just crying out for help, and we just walk on by. And a lot of times, the Spirit will give us discernment on what kind of help they actually need. But they've got to be willing to receive it, too. Now, I'm not trying to play God, but everybody on the planet right now has financial need. Even if you're rich, you got it somehow. God gave it to you. You might have worked for it. Yeah, I'm not, blaming, I'm not giving God any credit for this. He gave you the talents and the abilities to make that money. He gave you a family to inherit it from. Okay, let's just start making this. Anyway. Pay attention to the needs around us. We, we have to realize that our city, especially today, is in great need. 
We can look and see that there are all kinds of things going on. And again, I, I commend those who, who make plans to take care of needs. We need to concentrate on what Christ has put us here to do. We are not here for ourselves. And third, when we pay attention, after we pay attention to the needs of the around us, we will trust Jesus to do his work. See, this man laid out on his mat begging because he had financial need. Peter and John recognized that his need, while financial, was far deeper and caused by something else. So they called on the name of the Lord to do his work, and they trusted Jesus to bring his healing. We see God put those things in place. So we, we look at the needs of those around us. We look at the needs of those we can touch. We look at the needs of our culture. And we say, what, what is God calling us to do in this time? What I want to be reminded of here, because next week we're really going to dive into the, the sermon, because it's another good one. Peter's kind of repetitive. I don't know any preachers that are like that. <laughs> say the same thing over and over. But we see this pattern continuing to develop. And I, I don't think it's dogmatic or legalistic or we have to look at this as a formula for how it works. I just kind of think it's an example that's set before us is that if we trust God to do His work through us, He gives us an opportunity to proclaim His good news. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That our greatest problem is our sin. That sin causes death. Jesus Christ became sin and paid the price for ours and rose and now he empowers us by the work of his holy spirit his presence here on earth to do the work that he has called the church to do and who us who he's called us to be there are some amazing things that happen and the fact is is that we don't see a lot of people laying out on mats that if we walk up and say, be healed, they're going to leap and run around. We don't see that happen very often. As a matter of fact, I've never seen it happen. And if you have, cool, tell me about it later. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But the way we see God at work around us is that He gives us discernment. He gives us wisdom to see the need for Him in the world. And so what can we do now to help others find Christ? What can we do in our neighborhood? What can we do in our workplace? What can we do in our city, in our community, in our nation to help people see Jesus. I was reminded of uh, John chapter 5 along the way too. Um, this isn't the first time something like this happened. Jesus did it the first time. It may not even have been the first time, but this is the one I thought of. Chap John chapter 5, verse 7, there's a man laying at a pool hoping that he can get to the water when it bubbles, because it's believed superstitiously that an angel there would bring healing to the first person who touched the water. Where did they get that from? 
their own heads. But we have this man here who is in great need. It said he'd been an invalid for 38 years. That was a long time ago. Make some of you feel young in here. That was 1985. That was a long time ago. Kind of feels like yesterday. But I remember when I was growing up, I was a kid in the 80s. I'm sorry. I can't do anything about my age or my height, okay? Either one of those things. But I used to think the 60s were a long time ago. And now I realize my kids think the 90s were a long time ago. Yeah, whoa. The 90s? Yeah. I mean, my truck's a classic this year by the... Never mind. All right, so. And like with most classics, it would do well with a bullet through the block. All right, so. Anyway. Um, he is... Here's the thing is that for 38 years, this guy was unable to move. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him in verse 7, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus paid attention to the needs of those who were there. This is the place of great sorrow, desperation, and he offered healing. And in other places, he says what? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, that got him in lots of trouble, all right? But we see that, and even here, he did it on the Sabbath, even more problems. You healed somebody on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do anything. Well, this guy didn't care that it was the Sabbath. Thank you, son. Jesus is the Sabbath. That's a different sermon, but true. Very true. God brings us to a place where we recognize His rest. And his rest is found in the perfect healing that is offered through his presence. He doesn't heal everybody of their physical maladies. As a matter of fact, the death rate is 100%. Eventually, we run out of air to breathe. However, he offers us strength. He offers us courage. He offers us faith in him. He pursues us. We sang about that earlier. He pursues us. And offers us the healing that only he can give. And he calls us to a radical obedience in that as well. And he calls us to a place of great joy. So how is God going to work through you this week the way he worked for these apostles? God brings the message through us by what we say and do, and he offers us then the opportunity to proclaim his truth. And we're going to get into that next week. But how is God going to work through you today, tomorrow, next Saturday, and encourage us to come back together and glorify him and see lives changed by the healing power of the gospel? 
Because that's really what it's all about. It draws us in to His kingdom, to His hand at work. Have you received the healing power of the gospel? Is there a way that you are broken right now that only Christ can fix? Because that's what He does for us when we trust Him. He brings us grace, and He wants to be glorified through us. I pray that we can be like this man and recognize our infirmity, our lameness. We tend to use that word in different ways. But this guy couldn't move, and he leapt to his feet. Just imagine what that felt like. Perfect healing in a moment. Christ offers that to your heart today. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're faithful to us. Help us to, to trust you, to walk in your